Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There it is. That bass is pumping. It's the soundtrack to your week. DLC is on the air, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you've chosen to tune in. If you're one of our geeks and sneaks out there using DLC to fuel you in a workout or a run, we know you love it. DLC is your determination and lasting commitment. We dig that. DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week, and it's delivered the way it's meant to be, completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsor this week, Linda. Oh, Linda! They made that possible, bringing DLC to you. G- DLC is the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff, 2Ns1T Kanata, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who's about to become a father for the second time, Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Yeah, hey, uh, so I'll have to be scooting early today. We have a uh, planned induction. Everything's fine, but uh, the baby's tracking a little small, so they say there's no good keeping her in there. So I'm going to have to scoot out a little early. And also, I, I don't know if I agree with you, Jeff. I think DLC is best when it's $40 and vaguely described. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to that, no doubt. But how cool is it that your baby is going to be born on the on the May the 4th Be With You day? Well, it should rad. either be a uh, Princess Leia or a Princess uh, Jose Cuervo. We're not sure. You know, it could be it could be a Cinco de Mayo baby. Awesome. Well, we're all excited for you, man. It's uh, that's that's awesome news. Your second daughter coming into the world today. Pretty exciting. Um, but you know, DLC is not a baby show. Although you know, maybe maybe sometimes uh, DLC. Everybody asks me, what does DLC stand for? Well, it's your downloadable Kanata. It's your downloadable Christian. But this week. It is once again a recursive acronym because it stands for DLC Loves Canada because it's our favorite Canadian back again. Friend of the show, Zav Damatos. Oh, Zav Damatos. I always do that. I'm sorry. Zav Damatos. <laughs> formerly so, okay, of, hey, uh, guys. Joystick. What's up? So happy to be here. Really appreciate Thank- you uh, letting me come by. Dude, loved having you all the time. We had you on the show last time right before the demise of Joystick. And uh, yeah. so can I'm I blame hear you guys is my question. I came here yeah. to ask if you guys can be blamed for that. Correlation is not causation. Uh, <laughs> I, I promise. Um, so Zav, dude, you got married since we talked last. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been a whirlwind to 2015. That's for sure. Um, got married and, um, it's been fantastic. I've been taking some time off, which is nice. Uh, and been playing some games, been playing some board games. I'm sure we'll talk about some of that, but still, awesome. uh, keeping up to date. I, I went to the star Wars celebration, which is you know perfect timing, uh, yeah. and, uh, played a little black ops. Hopefully we'll talk about that as well too. Absolutely. Well, let's get right to the show. Let's start the way we always do with story of the week. <laughs> Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the 
week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. We are ramping up to E3, guys, but there's some interesting stories going on. Uh, Zav, as our guest, you get first pick. So what do you consider your story of the week? Probably not the most exciting one, but to me it is, and that is that there's going to be a PC-focused conference at E3 this year, which is uh, the first time that's ever happened. A bunch of developers are coming together. Uh, it's being put on by uh, PC Gamer, I think, is is one of the sponsors. And uh, this is going to be a focus on PC gaming. And there's some big names that are going to be a part of the show. Dean Hall, uh, who was the creator of the Daisy mod, who has since left Bohemia Interactive. Uh, Bohemia Interactive is going to be there. Cloud Imperium Games is going to be there. Some some pretty big names. And they promised some announcements. And this is interesting because it's sort of the first time uh, that there is sort of a huge collection of companies coming together to make announcements at a conference. It's usually like Microsoft or Sony or Activision, and it's always focused on their platform. But this is a bunch of different developers that have no ties to each other other than the fact that they'll create games for the same platform. And that is cool. I think that is really fantastic. I'm, you know, love my PC gaming. So I'm really excited to see what's going to come out of that. Yeah, man. I, I think this is awesome. Uh, and since we're talking E3, you know what that means, Christian? Hype train is in full effect, guys. Oh, we are on the hype train. Probably every episode until E3, there's going to be some sort of E3 hype building up for the show. And I, I think this is a great idea. Zav, it's a three-hour event. They're saying from 5 to 8 p.m. Pacific time, three hours of PC announcements? What? Mm-hmm. What? Well, Square Enix is going to be there. So I assume that Square Enix is going to start the show off by announcing Final Fantasy 15 is coming out this year. And by the end of the show, it'll be turned into Final Fantasy 16 and it'll be coming out in 2022. So that's what I figure <laughs> is going to happen. Yeah, it's three that hours long is too long for there not to be some... <laughs> yeah right uh i guess blizzard's gonna be there as well C- cliff blazinski's gonna talk um what do you think about this christian are you are you a- amped uh for the for the pc master race presser i i hope it goes well I, it's difficult because you know you see this it's it's almost like as every game shown being shown in bullshot form to some extent right because it's like this is our game coming to pc you better be running a titan x this game is going to be amazing showing on a titan x it's, it's just harder for me to get super excited about some of these games because I can't run them. How can I run them? What do I run them on? Like that just makes it a little more complicated than the PS4, Xbox One saying coming out 2016, i.e. 2017 on your Xbox One. But I think it's time that someone finally really showed what the PC is and can do because half the time, you know, like hardcore or people that are watching E3, know you'll see a Tomb Raider reveal or whatever. And you're like, oh, that's running on a PC. Great. Now you can see it running on a PC, right? <laughs> they don't need to be shy about it. And it can give, I mean, I imagine Cliff is going to be there showing off his new Unreal-esque type shooter. And it can give some of these games a big spotlight again, because there are a lot of PC-only games. Um, Heroes of the Storm, um, Unreal, that are like awesome on PC. And it will give them time to shine again. So I'm all for that. I think the hard part is overcoming technical detail nitty gritty. 
I think that that's definitely a problem. This is the first show that I know that people are going to be asking, can I run that in every single game that is shown? <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah. EA usually has like, here's a crisis game that you're like, I don't know if I can run that game, but I can play all these other games they showed off. This is going to be the conference where, oh, dear Lord, I don't think I could run any of these things. Am I going to have to upgrade? By the way, sponsored by AMD. So they have you yeah. covered, I suppose. <laughs> and they're definitely going to promote the hell out of that. That's why it's three hours long because uh, they need extra time to say minimum specs, recommended specs. <laughs> um, <you know. laughs> no, I think uh, I think this is something that a lot of people have been clamoring for for years. I remember back in the day, it was always like, well, there should be, you know, we had the big the big platform manufacturers, but there should be the PC centric version of that where there's the big announcements on the PC. Um, it's interesting to me to, to see what this is going to be like because it isn't it isn't a, from a singular voice, right? This is sort of a a loose collaboration of disparate elements all getting together. You know, it's sort of the uh, the Justice League or the Avengers of of press conferences. Um, it's a bunch of solo acts, you know, getting together and 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 debuting things. It's also weird mm-hmm. that it, it's on Tuesday night, which is sort of after the show has already started. Which is like how how many big reveals can they have after the show has already started? Um, but all those doubts aside, I am very excited about this as somebody who loves PC gaming. I think this I don't know if it adds credibility because there's already credibility. It doesn't need credibility. I just think it it brings that level of excitement to big announcements of games that aren't coming out on console. And hopefully that's what they'll be showcasing not just like the pc versions of console games but games like blizzard games and others that that aren't coming out on console at all and and to christian's point i think that one thing that was really surprising coming out of star wars celebration after they showed off battlefront was that the only footage they showed of that game was an in-game engine no sorry an in-engine video which is not in-game it's just the engine used for the game whereas when we saw the game at the conference in Star Wars Celebration, and if you waited in line, you actually got to see the game in-game on yeah. a PS4. And it looked great. So I don't know why they would bother. So a lot of the blowback from that has been, well, that's not what the game looks like. And I really don't think that, if you look at the list of, of people involved, it's not Activision, it's not 2K, it's not the bigger publishers who t- generally do things like that, but, you know, your bull shots and what have you. It is, you know, the developers that are really focused on creating some really spellbinding and amazing looking like Cloud Imperium games. Their games look fantastic. Bohemia Interactive is intricate. All their design is very detailed and their games look fantastic. So I really hope that that is the focus on real games that you will be able to possibly play depending on your hardware. But that is what it looks like. This is the game. This is what people are showing off. I don't I'm tired of bull shots. Yeah. It'll be, it'll, you know, it could be wall to wall MMOs and MOBAs. You know, it's like, it's PC gaming. Here's another MMO and a MOBA for you. But uh, I'm hoping that it's, I, I think three hours is going to be really interesting to see. Uh, it's going to be, I, I'm, I have very high hopes for this. I think this is going to be very cool. I'm going to live stream it, but I'm only going to, I'm going to uh, live tweet it, but I'm only going to live tweet it every minute to tell you that Half-Life 3 has yet to be announced. <laughs> <laughs> and it will yeah. not be announced. Um, isn't there like a, isn't there a Twitter feed called like, is Half-Life 3 out yet? And they, every day they just tweet no. <laughs> yeah. Just every single day they tweet once and it's no. <laughs> yeah. My favorite is when people discover that and they retweet it. And yeah. it just, so you just get a, a, a huge like swath of people just retweeting no. It's, it's pretty great. <laughs> Christian, what do you got for your story of the week? Uh, ukulele 
is a game that launched on Kickstarter. It's a 3D platformer from people, old rare, people behind Banjo-Kazooie. And this is their new game that they were going to launch on PC first and concurrently on Wii U, PS4, and Xbox One if they hit a stretch goal of a million pounds. Its original goal was 270000 I don't know if forget that was dollars or pounds, but around there, right? Maybe $300,000. They blew past that in 30 minutes, and I believe in the first day, they yeah. got past their million stretch goal. So it is a reimagining. It's the heir apparent to Banjo, and it's made by people that made Banjo, and the sound that were involved in Banjo and the old Donkey Kong Country games, and... Holy crap, people, I think we're thinking maybe the day of this rabid Kickstarter game success story was maybe on the way down. Um, people had kind of been burned or learned their lesson or, you know, you can't just put a game on Kickstarter and make millions of dollars. But I think people weren't kidding when they said they want old Rare back because, one, if you watch the video, this looks like Banjo, right? And two... Yeah. Holy moly at the funding. I mean, does this game get you hyped, Zav? Are you clamoring for this old N64 era with updated graphics type gameplay? Or do you think this is people shelling out money based on nostalgia? I mean, it's a little bit of both. I mean, people obviously want... That's what Kickstarter is really great at when it comes to gaming is, oh, I remember when I used to play this kind of game and I want more of that. Uh, that's why, you know, things like Elite Dangerous and Star Citizen got so much money. Um, but this does interest me because I feel like a lot of the games that I've been playing lately have been very, like, grim and dark. And it's it's just been, you know, my, in a week, the last week or so, uh, my wife listened to the entire Serial podcast and then the Jinx, watched the Jinx on HBO. <laughs> and then at the end of the week, she was like, I need to watch, like, an episode of Frasier. Like, it's just, <laughs> there's so much doom and gloom that I've been absorbing with all these things so I, I like the idea of this coming and obviously people are really excited for what this team can do and what they have done in the past i think it's i think it's pretty fantastic it's it's sort of unfortunately the only way we're going to get certain types of games anymore uh, yeah i don't know how well these games sell like the only other platformers that do really well obviously are mario games but you know maybe the ratchet and clank series but what other light-hearted platformers really exist nowadays so Kickstarter is good for that, where people can kind of fund the things that they want to to see come out. But, you know, as soon as there's any stumbling that happens, like, you know, with Double Fine's uh, Kickstarter stuff, that tends to happen and people end up changing their mind. So it's it's reactionary. But I think that people are going to obviously vote with their dollars in this case. And they have because the game's going to come out. Do you think this is enough, Jeff? I thought when they asked for 270, and people in the chat are saying the exchange rate is 1.5, um, so 1, mil is 1, point, 1 million pounds is $1.5 million. Um, I mean, when they were asking for 270000 what game can be made for that? And now they have a million, and they're going to launch across PC, Wii U, Xbox One, PS4. Is this the next disappointment, though? I, that's what I'm concerned about, is that this isn't enough money to make this game. <laughs> that's crazy that we're in a situation where getting what, you know, however many times, uh, you know, 10 times their goal is, is that enough money? <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's the situation, unfortunately, with, you know, with being burned a few times with these things. Uh, you know, there are plenty of success stories, however. Uh, it's as of this recording right now, it's at 1.3 million pounds. Um, and they, ex- 
you know, exceeded the entire list of their stretch goals in 24 hours. So they added a new stretch goal for an orchestral score at 1.5 million. But I think, I feel like at this point they're like, uh, w- what else can we do? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm shocked that there's this much desire for this kind of game. And I think, I don't think anybody saw this coming. Uh, I know there's a lot of goodwill out there for Banjo Kazooie, but this level of goodwill, this sort of instantaneous mm-hmm. and overwhelming flood of goodwill, I'm, I'm surprised about. Um, I don't think that you see, you know, uh, you look at a game like, um, oh, uh, what's it called? The, um, uh, the 2D Ubisoft platformer, the Raymond game that came out last year. Um, Legends. Legends. Legends, right. Fantastic, phenomenal, gorgeous, beautifully craft game. And I would say probably didn't sell that great, but I would, I would think I mean, it's not a 3D platformer like this is, but, and maybe that's the key, but I think it certainly serves the same market. And 1.3 million pounds certainly would still be considered a failure for a major release from Ubisoft, I'm guessing, but it just, it just boggles my mind that people don't rush out and buy the games that are actually made. They're more interested in creating games that wouldn't have been made otherwise. And maybe there's a, a joy to that. Certainly mm-hmm. there is, but um, I watched the video for ukulele. It looks cute and fun. And I enjoyed Banjo Kazooie games, but the last Banjo Kazooie game on the Xbox 360 didn't do very well. Um, I, I'm just surprised that there's this much, well, anticipation for this here's the other side of it so in the u.s it has over two million in dollars over two million dollars raised as of right now i just loaded it but thirty nine thousand five hundred backers so yeah how many more people will buy this game does it sell a hundred thousand copies i don't think that is a success for a publisher but kudos to kickstarter <laughs> for making it possible because it is a success hopefully for these developers and the fans that get it so maybe that's the niche that this is filling assuming this game comes out it's like Zab was saying, you know, this game would be a failure for Ubisoft or whomever, but there's enough mm-hmm. people that wanted enough to throw enough money at it that these, this 100,000 people get the game they want and love and everybody's happy. So maybe it's well, win-win. Yeah, you say that. And, and, and you know, Eth Demon in the chat makes up, brings up a good point. There are only 39,000 backers right now, uh, almost 40,000 backers right now. So selling 40,000 copies of something is not good, but that's that's what makes kickstarter kickstarter and and a wonderful thing that we should all applaud is that forty thousand people can make something an overwhelming success and make it happen uh so good good for that to address your other question is it enough money i certainly hope so i i hope this isn't a, a failure and i have high hopes um were you gonna say something I, you know yeah i don't know i i i interviewed jane jensen uh of course who, who created the gabriel knight series um a, a couple months ago and we were talking about a couple of Kickstarter she was involved with specifically Mobius and she talked about how they specifically undercut what they actually needed because if you ask for what you really do need you will never get funded because games are way more expensive than people realize even right. small independent titles um, I mean if you you look at things like um, the, the story of how Chris Roberts funded Star Citizen it was that he knew that he needed at least 22 million dollars and went to crowdfunding to get two or four million and he said that if he thought if he could get to that number he can get investors to realize that there was an audience out there and give them the rest of the money and uh, you know it worked out that they didn't need to go to investors so i would hope that two million dollars to make a 3d platformer 
in this vein is is not a lot of money. I mean, if it was something like akin to Shovel Knight, a very small, a much smaller game that's easily distributable to other platforms, that would be a different situation. But this kind of game seems very detailed for that much money, especially when you consider how many people are involved uh, in creating it and marketing and, and even getting licensed to put it on consoles costs money. So I don't know. It seems like an undercut to try to get funded. And now stretch goals, which I think are the bane of my existence when it comes to uh, to Kickstarter stuff. <laughs> it's I hate it so much. It's so dumb because basically what a stretch goal is. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. We made our money. We don't want people to see that we've made our money and then not give us money because we've already hit our goal. So let's give them more things to go for so we can keep getting more money like the problem is, is that if you ask for the, the money that you actually do need, you'll never get funded because games are too expensive to make. Um, yeah. And I think the proof is in Double Fine itself. They made the most money at the time for uh, their adventure game. It was like $3 million. And then they had to go to early access to sell more units because they had no money to finish it. Yeah, It's just I don't know that there's enough money out there in crowdfunding to make a game with such lofty goals. Well, uh I think Star Citizen is proof that there is enough money in crowdfunding to make a game with lofty goals. But uh, also, ga- <laughs> oh, yeah. Gaming Cookie in the chat points out that we got 43 days left on this baby. So this is just the beginning of where they're at uh, for ukulele. So maybe it'll be much, much more at when all is said and done. Interestingly, there's another hype train story uh, about rumor that Rare is going to announce a new game at E3 uh, at Microsoft's press conference. Uh, IGN uh, cites a tweet from a, a creative director at Rare by the name of Simon Woodruff, and it would be interesting to me if it's actually a Banjo-Kazooie. I, I suspect it isn't. I suspect it's a new IP from Rare. Uh, but what do you guys think about – would that steal thunder from this? Is, it, is this stealing thunder from that? Is there a desire for actual Banjo-Kazooie? What should Rare be doing? I'm curious what your thoughts are, Zaf. I, I, although the last Benjamin Kazooie game was not successful financially, I thought it was a very good game. I, I had a lot of fun nuts playing and bolts, it. Right? Yeah, nuts and bolts, where you got to create the vehicles in the game. But that yeah. wasn't uh, was a cool. banjo game, right? Well, it was by name. I mean, right. The characters were in there. Uh, its mechanics were obviously very different. Uh, and Rare has made some some really great stuff. I would love for them to bring back like Viva Pinata, but you know that's not going to happen anytime soon right. either. That wasn't exactly I, a monstrous uh, IP for them. Yeah, you know, you know, Phil Spencer has said that they they're not making them make any more Avatar stuff or or you know, connect sports nonsense. They're going to allow them to make the games they want to make. So hopefully, this is a return to form. But the, what does the rare name even mean anymore? Anyone who was involved in that studio when you loved the games that they made, you know, your golden eyes and things like that. None of those people are still there. So the return to form, who knows what really rare can do. I'm sure, you know, obviously very talented people work at that studio, but I am interested to see what they can do. That's new. I'm not really interested in, in, you know, a rehash. I don't want to see grab by the ghoulies too. I'm sorry. It's just like, it's not, (laughs) it's not my thing. So I hope that they can do something really interesting. And I, you know what? They may be they may be the studio that Microsoft turns to and says, hey, we need something a little bit more lighthearted. We need a mascot other than Master Chief. We need something mm-hmm. that can gravitate towards more general audiences. And they have a, a history of doing that. I mean, they can do that 
in any number of ways. So I, I hope it's something more along that. I, I don't need another, you know, military space shooter thing. I want them to do something that's more lighthearted and more in line with maybe historically rare has been known for. What do you think, Christian? I mean, I think to some extent, the Kickstarter gets more attention because the people that are clamoring for these games are more excited for old rare. Like Zav said, these people uh, that made Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong Country and GoldenEye aren't at rare anymore. They're making um, ukulele. <laughs> so, I mean, what is in a name? How much name goodwill? How does uh, how does the name carry a franchise versus getting the name out there that you are the people that made the game you love and now you're making a new game that, let's be honest is the same game. I mean, they're not they're not trying to hide it. You know, the spiritual successor, the logo looks awfully similar. It's one big character and one flying character. It's as far as they can go, I think, without Microsoft slapping them with a lawsuit. I mean, it's they're going for it and 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 good for them. So I don't know if rare rare can get people excited unless they show something that just knocks people's socks off because I think people gamers have been burned by by proper rare so far and I think rightfully so um jeff what's your there's other stories left but what is your if you had to pick one what's your story of the week i you know i'm definitely tempted by the uh the pc gaming uh, press conference i think that's pretty exciting but i'm intrigued i think my story of the week is this thing that happened this week uh where people figured out you could embed old ms dos games in twitter uh, tweets <laughs> inside tweets just by linking them and you could play inside Twitter uh, and then Twitter going, yeah, no, can't do that. Sorry. It's against our uh, end user agreement. So we're shutting that down. Do you guys think that's a cool thing about being able to play? It was basically the internet archive, the collection. We've talked about it on the show before the fact that you can play all these hundreds and hundreds of old MS DOS games that I grew up with, uh, really cool games in the internet archive. And, and they're so small and so it requires such uh, modest PC gaming power uh, when, you know, in relation to what we can do now that you can play it on your phone inside a tweet. So uh, what, what do you think about this? Av? Should they shut it down? Was it a cool thing? But mm-hmm. playing it on my phone would have been amazing. I mean, the Internet Archive exists. I mean, that's, you know, one thing that this industry is bad at is archiving it, it, the classics. I mean, I want to go out and buy, if I want to go out and buy a game that I used to play as a kid, unless someone regains the license and resells it or GOG picks it up, there's just no way to do it legally through legal mm-hmm. means. And I think that the, for the mass, vast majority of people, if they have a legal avenue to get something, they will go that way. Um, I mean, I would point to the success of HBO now, which I think has been really successful right now. And mm-hmm. because if people have an easy way to gain access to something, they'll do it. So I think that it w- would have been very cool to be able to play those games on my phone. But then I don't know, sometimes when people see this nostalgia and it's sort of the Kickstarter works in this, this way too, uh, people get dollars in their eyes and they realize, well, you know, we can trade off on this love for something and try to sell it, um, you know, EA did that with Dungeon Keeper uh, by making it a free-to-play game, or Ultima, their terrible Ultima yeah. reboot. Whereas they could have just said, "Like, hey, here, you know, give us a couple of bucks, you can have all the the entire Ultima series, which you can get online anyway." But my my point being that people want to play this stuff, so it would have been great to be able to have better access to it rather than go to, you know, one specific website or hub to be able to play it and tweet. That would have been pretty rad. 
What game would you play though? Like, what what is your go to MS DOS game that you would have played? Oh man, I don't know. People are playing Oregon Trail uh, on you know inside tweets, which is kind of funny. It's a little easier to play something like that that's slow and turn based, and you don't have to worry about input, <laughs> you know, quickly. Um, I like what Kent Doggy Dog says here in the in the chat. He says it's cool to play something within Twitter, but it's like eating a square pizza. It's not ideal. <laughs> um, I, I kind of agree with that. Mm-hmm. Like it was cool that it's possible, but yeah. why do I need to do it? I just think it's cool <laughs> that it's possible. I don't know. Christian, you have thoughts? I mean, every time this happens now, I just think that Twitter's going to launch their own version of it, right? Like Meerkat comes out and takes South by Southwest by storm using Twitter's uh, graph. And then Twitter's like, yeah, you don't have access to that anymore. But if you guys want to download Periscope, <laughs> I don't think they're going to get into the gaming because I, I, I do think that Internet Archive itself with the gaming has some copyright issues <laughs> happening where it's cool to play these games. And I'm glad they're archived, but um, I, I, I don't think that they're getting all of these games cleared. And I <laughs> don't think these games are in the public domain. So I understand Twitter shutting it down. Um that's the old man in me that's like, yeah, I get it. Twitter's a business that's trying to prove that it has value and worth and actually make money for itself. So they don't want to be brought up or sued in the middle of some lawsuit that may or may not come. But from like a gamer citizen of Earth's perspective, of course, access to old things easily and simply is always good. So hopefully there's another way that that can happen. Maybe the, uh, they, someone can create an app that is just that MS DOS, whatever. But, you know, I, I understand why Twitter shut it down. Uh, Christian, you brought up the idea of $40 DLC that is uh mystery. <laughs> we got some more information about the DLC that you're referring to, which is for Arkham Knight, the new Batman game coming out uh, this summer. And uh, some of that $40 season pass that they're asking you to pony up for now uh, has been revealed. We got already, we talked about it last week or the week before, talking about Robin and Catwoman, all the uh, Nightwing being playable characters and switching in the middle of the game. Well, much like the previous uh, Rocksteady Batman game, there is a prequel chapter that is going to be DLC. Uh, in the previous game, it was um, Catwoman, and there was all that, you know, we talked about it on Weekend Confirmed constantly. Was Catwoman enough to be charged, yada, yada, yada? Well, this time it's Batgirl. Uh, and I got to say, Batgirl looks pretty rad in the this design. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a full-on prequel story expansion with new locations. And uh, some of that other $40 DLC will include skins for your characters, so new costumes, and skins for your Batmobile. Dude, give me the 1960s Batmobile, but it can do what the cool Batmobile in in Arkham Knight does, and I might just pony up for that because uh, I'm a sucker. Um, Christian, what do you think about this? Is this is this cool stuff or is this not cool stuff? I mean, I think it's cool stuff, and I guess kudos to WB for announcing this. I don't understand how you announce the pricing though <laughs> without giving any of this information. Uh, it would have. People still would have been upset or ridiculed them because $40 is a crazy amount of money for a season pass, I think. And even this doesn't go far enough. Batgirl, a matter of family, and it's going to be a prequel. Great. How long is it? What is it? You're still asking me to give you $40. Like pre-ordering games, I kind of get sometimes. If it unlocks preloading for you and so you can get it at day zero or right on time where you get a discount or whatever, I get. But buying season passes... As far as I know, that option doesn't go away, right? So, like, 
can't you just wait until the thing you want comes out and then you decide okay if i buy all of it now like i want this batgirl thing it's 15 dollars alone or i can get this season pass for 40 thereby saving whatever money if i bought all of this stuff i just don't know who goes blindly into season passes because i don't know of a single season pass that delivered across the board where you honestly quote unquote saved money because no one in their right mind would have bought all the crap in the season pass jeff you are not gonna buy you i mean come on how much would you pay for a 66 bat batmobile skin for real that you can only use i'm guessing in new game plus or to do these batmobile races because that's why you play an arkham game <laughs> wait a minute why would this? i why would i only be able to use it in new game plus or in why can't i just slap it onto the game i'm playing have you played any of the Arkham games? Uh, yeah. Do you get to use your uh, unlocked costumes in your first playthrough of the game? Never. No. 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 Did no. I buy even for purchased ones? I've never purchased a costume yep. in an Arkham game. Seriously? Yep. Come on, I remember, bro. That's correct. Come the on. Single, yeah, the challenge mode. I think you could switch costumes yep. regardless, but the single player story you need to play as their mod, the general default model before you can switch anything up. Yep. Lame. The only thing I was that not I aware of that. that would be the only thing that I th- would think that make this expensive for them is if the, the the skins on the Batmobile are so different that it changes the shape and size and they have to redo animations because of that. That would make make it a little bit more expensive to add that. But I, I'm sorry, forty dollars. There's nothing that they can add to this to make me pay almost the exact same price of the game for extra content it's ludicrous to spend 40 dollars on a prequel piece of dlc content and some challenge map modes like i like me some arkham no, games there yeah, is, ludicrous ludicrous is in the uh fast and the furious uh xbox uh, one the stuff okay i can now yes. that i remember he's in that that now that's worth it because it was free <laughs> for two weeks uh but it's ludicrous i mean there's nothing that they could have added to make this worth it and i like arkham games but their DLC has never been very interesting. Yeah, you play as different costumes, and it's nice to be like, oh, yeah, look, Batman Beyond. Great. doesn't do anything. I mean, the game doesn't change at all. It's not like there are new animations or new powers for specific uh, character skins. It's just, it's just more content, which is great. I like content, but the hard push on a game that has been delayed multiple times now... Um, after which I know it's Rocksteady who's doing this one, so it's not WB Montreal. But the last Arkham game, if you don't know who's making what, was a disappointment. So I don't know why, you know, I understand why they want to sell us a $40 season pass, but get me the game first for crying out loud. Like games nowadays are like, here's our teaser trailer, pre order now. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. I would like to see something of value in the product that you're initially selling me first. Rather than you say like, okay, it's like they've ignored the fact that we have to buy their product. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're already getting the game, but now order the, now pre-order the season pass. Now what I'm going to do, pre-order the pre-order for the season pass. Like I'm going to have to pre-order the preload for the game now. It's just, it's, it's getting so out of hand and out of control uh, that I, I, I think it's crazy. Like I'll play the game, but I'm not spending $40 on a season pass for it. I don't care what's in there unless the $40 are like, Oh, just kidding. The sequels in it too. I'm not, I'm not pre-ordering it. <laughs> well, not that's happening. what 
pre-ordering the game now is pre-ordering the pre-order for the D- for the season pass, right? Because <laughs> you need to get the game to get the season pass. And I am, oh, I just finished, uh, I played it again last week and I finished it this week, Arkham Origins, which I may or may not have time to give my final thoughts on that. Zab, you said it was a disappointment. I think it suffered from for other reasons, um, aside from the actual game. But I bought all of the DLC for Arkham City, and I did it after it all came out, and I realized I want all of this. And then I bought the season pass, and I got a discount on buying all of the content after I decided I love this game. I want all of the content. But I guess, I mean, ultimately it is, assuming the $60, it's the same song and dance, right? Assuming the $60 game is worth your money. And then there are people out there that are big enough fans or stupid enough or have enough disposable income to buy this money. I mean, companies keep doing it. So ultimately, people like us keep blabbing about how do people do this and why does anyone buy it? And then companies say, because of see this blank check we just cashed, <laughs> this is why we keep doing it. Well, and we keep letting them. I, I, I hate to be the counterpoint to this, but I feel like it needs to be said that, you know, it's really, really expensive to make games at this level, right? Uh, that the amount of, of resources that go into creating this, this Batman game is astronomical. And they're fig- trying to figure out ways to monetize this game beyond $60 price point, which let's be honest, has not gone up in my lifetime or went up once, right? Went up from 50 to 60 one time in my lifetime. So. I'm not saying that we should all be grateful that we're getting this at 60 bucks and then paying an extra 40. I'm saying that they're in a, in a difficult position too. And this isn't an ideal solution. And I, we got to figure out what an ideal solution is. And I think a lot of the free to play games are kind of figuring it out, but I, you know, I think, I don't know. I'm not so quick to, to leap to they're just evil and they want all your money and they're writing themselves a blank check. I think it's more like these games are really expensive to make and they're trying to figure out revenue streams that aren't just the one time purchase. It's a tough thing. I mean, I don't, and, you know, it sounds like I'm defending whatever. I mean, I don't necessarily think that they're evil for doing this. They're a business and they're going to make a decision that they think is going to work. I just think it's the pricing structure of it is a little much to ask considering the last game was something of a disappointment and considering the the previous DLC has been pretty light in terms of what $40 can get you. Um, and I think this is the first time it's been $40. The previous DLC passes, I think were 24, maybe the, the most, maybe 30. I don't think so, but that that's quite a, a lot of money to ask for extra content for a game that people haven't even played yet. Like I understand the games are very expensive to make. We, I mean, we just had this discussion, but I feel like what they should be doing is incentivizing people wanting to continue the adventure. I mean, there it's very in vogue now for publishers to announce a game to announce, to tell people to pre-order it before they really even give any information or show anything of the game. The star Wars battlefront game is a good example. Oh, and then immediately after, like, oh, there's a DLC season pass, pre-order it now, but we don't know anything about this game. It's just, it's it's all the upfront money that they want. And I feel like in the, in the situation with Batman, because the last game was disappointing, it may be a reaction from a publisher side saying, like, you know, we want to make sure that people put as much money into it now so we get that money up front in case people are not satisfied with the end result product. Yeah. Um, 
No, I, I agree mean, with you that, that simply, asking for the money up front is the objectionable part where it's like, we don't even know what the season pass is going to entail yet. Uh, it's different when it's right. like, hey, we put this out. Here's what it costs. Either buy it or don't. We put this out. Here's what it costs. But I think the idea that they're trying to sell is, hey, $40 is actually going to be less expensive than buying everything a la carte, which is crazy too. And they're saying Might it's going to last a year. I don't know. My last gripe with this stuff, and I guess it's WB specific right now, is I'm okay. Do this, get your whales to buy it, or get your super fans to buy it. But then quit beating me over the head with it when I choose not to do it. So every time I start up Origins, I played it on Steam, uh, Arkham Origins. It loads up this thing, and it's like get this exclusive skin in the store now, or you can sign up for our email list and get it. And that's every single time I booted up the game, I had to push B to back out to then start yeah. the game. Every time you launch Mortal Kombat X. Goro sitting there. Uh, yeah, Arkham City, egregious. every time you start it, play the Catwoman adventure. Oh, it's great out. Buy it. Buy it. And it's like, yeah. sell your thing, but then I should have an opt out. Like, hit me with it once because you got to get your message in front of your consumer. But after that, let me bypass it and never see it again because it just jades mm-hmm. me or frustrates me with the rest of the experience. And it's the worst. Hey, Christian, I know you got to run for the birth of your child uh, very soon, but I wanted to hit up uh, what you've been playing uh, real quick before you go. I know you, you mentioned um, Finishing Origins. You want to talk about that? Oh, yeah. So I, I did. I, I mean, I love the Arkham games. I love that combat. So I, I was close last week. I finished it. And I think it's a really good game and one of the better Arkham stories from that franchise I think what it suffered from is launching with a few bugs because um, Warner Brother, whomever, probably gave, was it Splash Damage or Montreal, whoever the actual developer of the game was probably on a crunch deadline to get it done. So that was unfortunate. It launched with very unfortunate bugs. And then I think the other reasons it has the lowest Metacritic was franchise fatigue. And I hope that something like Assassin's Creed or Batman going forward can learn from this. I think had Arkham Origins come out last year, um, it would have reviewed much better because people would have been clamoring for this game instead of it being like, oh, here's another game not made by the A team, just filling up a console release cycle and it has bugs and it, all those things stacked against it. Where if you play it now, if you're looking or you you play games on the cheap and you want to pass on Arkham Knight and get Origins, I didn't have any problems with it after it updated the story's great. It looks great on PC. It's that awesome combat. Like, I really recommend the game if you're a Batman fan. So I think it got a fair <laughs> but unfair rap when it launched because of things that uh, were, you know, publisher implied, imposed rules. And the other game, uh, I guess a guest on this show got me to play a game. <laughs> I fired up Marvel Heroes 2015 and... Um, they're doing a lot of smart stuff with that game. The The load screen or the, the login screen is a, uh, a still an in-game character model, but showing you a, a scene from Avengers 2 that's in the trailer, but I won't whatever. But it's like a very cool moment of all the heroes. And then your first free-to-play heroes, they have a lot of the Avengers to pick as your, as your starting free character. I rolled uh, Black Widow because I love Black Widow. Um, and I'm maybe an hour into the game and so far, uh, so I'm starting from the beginning. It, it feels similar to when I played it before, I, but I also don't expect for it to feel that different cause I haven't gotten very far. Um, but I'm enjoying it. Like I said, I'm maybe 45 to an hour into the game. I know Jeff, you have been playing it too. Is it something yeah. now that you would recommend to people? Is it, have you been having fun? 
Well, I, I said this last week too. I liked it originally. I, I had recommended it. I think back whenever show I was doing at that point. Uh, cause I, I didn't have as many of the grapes as others, uh, did with it. Um, but yeah, I, I dig it. I think the, the new, the new, um, the new upgrade systems and the new uh, loot systems are, are an improvement, but basically it still delivers the thing that I liked about it originally, which is there's a whole ton of Marvel characters and you have the ability to play them and they all play really closely to how you would think that Marvel character should play. You know, if, if they do a really great job of making the powers systems work the way the heroes should work based on what you know of them. You know, there's, there's two approaches. You can either try to shoehorn a character's powers into the mechanics of your game or try to force your game to adapt to the powers of the hero. And they did the latter. And I think that's to the credit of the game. When you play a, a hero, it feels like you're doing what that hero does in the comic book or in the movies, which is, which is fun. Graphics are fun. Uh, lots and lots of, of, uh, you know, recognizable heroes and villains right at the start. You're not just beating a bunch of thugs up the whole time. You're really getting A-list villains right away. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's steeped in lore from the comics. It's good. I liked it a lot. Yeah, and they don't hit you. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I think some of the pricing for some of the characters is still outrageous. <laughs> right. um, and some of the packs are pretty crazy. But they don't hit you over the head the way some free-to-play games do with you just talked to Spider-Man. Buy Spider-Man. He's $20. You got $20. We looked in your Steam wallet. You have $20 in your Steam wallet right now. Like, obviously, <laughs> yeah. Why aren't you buying it now? Buy it now. Buy it now. We just bought it for you. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> your, your camera, the camera on your computer is active, and it looks like your room is nicely furnished. That means you probably are in an economic bracket that can afford this. Yeah. <laughs> right. We and can I mean, adjust our prices based on how much money we think you make. <laughs> <laughs> we see you're running a tight neck. Therefore, um, it, it's, it's not bad for a free-to-play game. And like I said, I don't think it's even as bad as some of these other non-free-to-play games have been. And you're right, Jeff. The characters do feel like the characters, which is something that I really loved about Lego Marvel as well, where you play as Lego Cap and he moves different than Lego Wolverine. And it's a little thing that goes a long way that for a long time, these games weren't doing that well. I love the Ultimate Alliance games, but largely I felt like those characters felt and played the same. It's just one was Rage, one was Berserk. Um, Right. So, I mean, I would recommend checking it out, and I do have to run um, Arkham Origins again. Check it out. And next week, I'm going to be all up on... I'm so excited for Wolfenstein, The Old Blood, which is coming out this week. I don't know anything about it. I know they're not sending out review copies till early, till release, which is kind of worrisome. But, man, I loved, I loved, loved, loved The New Order. So, I, I hope, I hope that game is good. Hey man, uh, best of luck today uh, I, with your daughter coming into the world. This is a pretty exciting day for you, and, and we're all very happy for you here. I just want to say, I know it's a girl, but just consider the name Jeffica. Rocky, we were gonna go. We were gonna go with Kanata, but with one N oh. and two T's. No, it's two N's, <laughs> one T. How could you? All right, thanks, Chad. Thanks, everybody. Bye, Zaf. Bye, Jeff. All right, man. Take care. Congratulations. Oh, what a cool day for him. That's pretty amazing. Um, his second daughter. Wow. Uh, and next week we'll, we'll hear a very tired Christian Spicer on the show <laughs> for yeah. sure. Um, you'll be playing that hot new game sleep. 
<laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, okay. So let's go back and, and hit up a couple of these stories that we skipped over to do that uh, to let him go. I just wanted to, um, it looks like there's another E3 hype train story. Uh, looks like there's a tease from the Twitter feed of Mike Gamble, the series producer on Mass Effect. Uh, looks like an image that is very Mass Effect-y. Um, mm. Is it a safe bet, Zav? Do you think that we'll see Mass Effect 4 or whatever it's going to be called um, officially revealed at E3 this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if it's not revealed before, then it has to be E3. I, they kind of played around with, you know, talking about how they were working on something in the series at E3 last year. Right. They showed some video where they thought... Uh, where, where people thought they were announcing it, but they haven't. We know we're work- they're working on it. Uh, and there's some rumors as to what the game might be. There was uh, some listing for um, how the game uh, functions, and it was sort of described as Dragon Age in space, which they say that they don't want to do. Uh, Sounds but, good to I mean, me, Dragon Age in- I mean, it's a very, and it's a very different game, obviously. So I, I don't know. It's got to be Mass Effect Four. Like, what else could they possibly do? Unless it's like right. Mass Effect, but it's like a bejeweled skin or something. <laughs> it's a match three. How, how cruel would that be? He like, he's like, you can play it from inside Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. What would you like to see? I mean, we've heard that it will not involve Shepard, that it is a game that the rumor has it that it is a game that takes place during the same time period as what Shepard was doing, but just in another corner of the galaxy, which sounds like kind of a cool idea to me. Um, are you hoping for more of the same prettier or what, what would make you feel like Mass Effect has entered into a new generation? I, I want them to mix up things that I that I liked about the entire series, like um, the customization options, which I said they, they've said that are coming back. Thankfully, um, the Mako is coming back. Whether or not you love that is up is up to you. But I driving around that thing was nonsensical, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, and there's just a lot of I mean, it's a vast universe to explore. They can kind of delve into sort of the little nuance of a lot of the little stories of the Krogan and and, you know, the their race being sort of, um, adju- you know, adjusted in order to sort of become extinct. There's a lot of different things they can hit on while still maintaining this bubble of the vast majority. And it's kind of cool to think of um, like Star Wars Rogue One. I'm sure there will be a scene where someone's mentioning something that's happening in, you know, uh, episode four or that's going to happen in episode four. And it's these little things where they kind of mentioned in the background, like Daredevil on Netflix did this really well, where they were just like hit you with a line and you knew exactly what they meant, but it was so it was sort of vague. Right. I think that will be what's cool about it, where you'll hear the stories of what's going on the other side of the universe and everyone talking about how the universe is going to be saved by this one person. And you are in hell yourself where no one is paying attention. I think that would be very, very cool to, for the series to focus on. Yeah, I, I like I like it being not saving the universe. If if, you know, Shepard is off saving the universe somewhere else, it'd be cool if Mass Effect 4, whatever it is, can be a more of an adventure tale that doesn't necessarily need to be saving the universe. I think that's cool. What I'm hoping for is that each of the planets that you visit feel more like planets rather than a one stop little nubbin of a you know, a few screens of a city. Uh, you know, I always felt like if you ha- give me planets to explore, why can I only go to one little stop at that planet? Um, yeah. You know, they made the whole universe very poorly. 
Right. Yeah. It makes the whole universe seem small. I agree about destiny for sure. And I think mm-hmm. the, that the strides that they made in Dragon Age Inquisition in order to make the world feel larger really worked. I think that open world approach made it feel cool. And I think that maybe having alien planets feel like that, especially if you're in reintroducing the Mako and letting me drive wherever I want and get in a vehicle so I can go much farther than I would have normally. Uh, I think that would make the whole universe feel large and feel like you're really exploring, which is I think missing mm-hmm. in the mass effect games. I mean, this, this won't necessarily work, but I recently read Andy Weir's book, the Martian, and there's oh, something so about being stuck on a planet and and trying to fight for survival that I think is really interesting. You don't have to turn it into a survival game, but I think it would be interesting if you were sort of stuck somewhere and sort of in the middle of a war or in the middle of something and you need to survive and maybe escape. Um, yeah. Mass Effect known for, you know, jumping around different planets, but it would be interesting to to see a story unfold where you're sort of stuck and you need to sort of evolve out of your situation and maybe go into space and then fight some enemy. I like more personal stories like call of duty back in the day was a little bit more personal in terms of, yes, there was a whole world war going on, but it was about you and your team and the people that were involved and you were just a cog in the wheel. But now you're driving the entire giant truck in call of duty. It's like everything is on your shoulders. It's a little boring. I mean, final fantasy in that regard, I think is a little boring when it's up to you 14 year old boy to save the world. It's just like, I I want a little bit more character. And I think that would, that'd be a good time to do it. I agree. I mean, I think there's, there's certainly a, an onus on them to make the game feel grand because it's always been this sort of galaxy wide experience. But I think having in the same way that I guess this is kind of a spoiler for dragon age inquisition. If you're not very far in that game, but there's a point in dragon age inquisition at which the whole, thing opens up much more and you and you're kind of transformed and you have much many more options and you you're at this new sort of hub and i think that they could do have it two staged like that where you could have you know a very closed feeling uh isolated feeling at the beginning and then you you know you you beat that challenge and you're the universe opens up for you a little more and you're able to add that exploration element because that's what i like about space games is that feeling of exploration um you know, exploring the galaxy is a, is a great concept in sci-fi. There's some interesting comments in the chat right now. Uh, the Gru says, what if they sold you Mako skins, Jeff? And I, to that, <laughs> I would, I would reply, if they are the 1960s Batmobile, then I would buy that. <laughs> um, also, uh, <laughs> the mighty one says mass effect plus elite dangerous equals amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen, but I appreciate the idea. You know what I just remembered, too? This E3, we might actually get to see EA's other Star Wars game that Amy uh, Amy, uh, is working on. Yes, Uh, we very well may. Right. And um, it would be great if this was a total swerve and that Horizon photo was actually Star Wars and they're making KOTOR 3. And it's a big epic G akin to Mass Effect. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. I suspect, however, that that Amy Hennig Star Wars game is very much along the lines of uh, of an Uncharted or a Last of Us. It's very story driven. It's very linear, but it's also very you know it's in the Star Wars universe. But you know, there's probably going to be laser pistols and battles and stuff uh, in the way yeah. that you know in the way that uh, Nathan Drake has battles. Uh, but man, give me a new Kotor. Eh? I'm I'd sign up for that in, in a heartbeat. 
they they have to do something because they have uh, EA and Lucasfilm signed a ten year agreement. Uh, right. When I went to the Star Wars celebration, that's one thing they were talking about. And Battlefront is the first piece of that, but they have big lofty plans for that, uh, and they they know that they're they know you know Masters of Terrorcasi exists. Like they they know that there have mm-hmm. been some bad Star Wars games, so they want right. to get away from that. Uh, I'm excited to see what they can do next. So. Well, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's get to, uh, the playlist here so we can talk because you've been playing some really cool stuff lately. So let's, uh, let's get right to that now. I know, uh, you've got some COD info to lay down, but let's, let's transition instead to, uh, talking about Battlefront because, uh, we had um, Ben Silverman on, who had uh, the the week after that happened, and he had talked about seeing the game being played. But I'd love to hear your perspective. Uh, you said it looked really good when you saw it. I know it was not hands on, but you got to see actual no. gameplay, right? Yeah, it was alpha footage um, that they weren't not playing live. It was pre recorded alpha footage from a PS4, and it's you know it hit all the all the high marks. I mean, it, as soon as it starts, you see that. The forest and indoor and you you realize exactly where you are it's very recognizable one of the things that i think is really fascinating about the game is that they are using um a technology called photogrammetry i believe it's called where Mm -hmm. they're taking original props and photographing it from a hundred different angles and then using those images to create those models so whereas in the past there have been like, here's a concept of what a lightsaber looks like. And then the developer would create their own lightsabers. Right. This is actually like, no, you get to play as the actual prop from the film. You get to use Luke's light- lightsaber or, you know, Darth Vader's light- lightsaber. Uh, instead I've always of wanted to play using, as a lightsaber. <laughs> you know, play as, exactly. Instead of instead of dry, flying, you know, the X, uh, an X wing, you get to fly the X wing that right. Luke fl- flew. You know, so that thing that I think is very cool. There's an authenticity to it that I think makes it very uh, fascinating, and it's very different from how they usually make games. Um, it looked great. I think that it hit all the high marks for, you know, <laughs> all the beats were like, okay, and this is where ATAT shows up, the ATST shows up. Like, you knew exactly what was going to happen before it happened. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I loved about it was the sound because if I close my eyes when I'm playing Battlefield, which is a terrible idea, I don't know why you do that, but <laughs> I could not tell you the difference between one gun from another, you know, assault rifles. I couldn't tell you that a sniper rifle. Yeah. I can tell the difference between that. The sound doesn't really make a difference, but when you hear a speeder, uh, in the distance or you hear a lightsaber turn on, there's these recognizable audio cues that immediately has a strategy to it. So you hear something and you know how to prepare for it. You know, what's coming up, you know, the sound of the ATAT, and that I think makes it a much more strategic game in a way because you're hmm. so familiar with the audio. Interesting. Um, and that's a cool concept to have in a multiplayer game. And it, you know, they, it's supposed to be huge and epic and scaling. It looks pretty cool. And, um, one of the things I asked was, hey, you're using Frostbite. Does that mean I can like blow up the entire environment and, and just have craters in, in Endor? And they're keeping the destruction to a minimum, uh, they said, because it's, you know, Star Wars is very lighthearted. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, although, you know, a planet filled with millions of people died, but it's just, <laughs> they, they, you know, they, the, the concept of it is very lighthearted. It's a and, space romp. It's a space opera. And they lightsaber so, up a whole bunch of children in the prequels. <laughs> yeah. Now that I think about it, that is 
total bull. Like they, it is, <laughs> it is super dark in spots. But yeah, they, their whole thing is is like you know we're not going to just like lay waste to each map because it doesn't fall in line with what the series is. I think it looks pretty cool, but I, I mean I haven't played it. Right. Um, I really do want to play it though. It made me want to play it as someone who is, is pretty excited for that series to come back because I remember playing Battlefront when it was uh, out by pandemic years ago. Right. Yeah, me too. Super stoked for it. Do you think it's enough for them to just do just be multiplayer or do you think that it needs some sort of I know there's going to be bots and a single player version to play with bots. But basically, it's, you know, it's Titanfall or it's, uh, you know, it's it's one of these games that doesn't have any kind of single player component. Is that okay? I mean, they have some missions that they're they're talking up a little bit. You could play co-op, things like that. I don't know. I, I would have thought that Titanfall would have lasted a lot longer for me because I really enjoyed playing it. But then, you know, a month or two after it came out, I stopped playing it. And is that because there was no single player or is that because other things came out? I couldn't tell you. But I don't know. I think in this day and age, you could certainly get away with it. Um, and people are going to yeah. be really excited to play that game. But I mean, do you remember the single a single player component from the original Star Wars Battlefront? I certainly don't No, So <laughs> no, I don't. So I think that it, I think in this instance it would work, um, but I can't wait to see what the season pass holds. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. Wait for the season pass. Um, speaking of season passes and multiplayers, is uh, you got a chance to check out that new COD Blops? I did. I got to play the COD Blops, uh, Call of Duty Three, or Call of Duty. It's like it's like Call of Duty Seven at this point yeah. uh, black ops 3 coming from treyarch uh their first game since the cycle of development changed at activision now there's three studios working on the games and that each studio has about three years to make each one of their games and you can tell that they've had some time working on this game they've changed quite a bit still looks like call of duty which i think you know looks still pretty solid i mean it's not up to par with with you know the most modern engines but whatever i think the game looks really good um, mm-hmm. But they've changed multiplayer completely. They've thrown out a lot of the ideas. Like now it is um, unlimited sprint, which that used to be a perk that you'd have to get to elite in order to get unlimited sprint. There's power sliding with thrusters. So you can slide down a corridor like really fast. It's almost a little bit like Vanquish. Because um, future and robots, right? Because future, future robots? robots. Yeah, it's sort of it's getting into this weird spot where every Call of Duty franchise is basically taking place in the same timeline, but they're not in the same universe. Like Advanced <laughs> Warfare is Future and War Robots, and Black Ops Three is Future and Robots, but it's not the same universe. These characters don't. It's not even the same canon or what? I don't know. But like, it's, it's way it's way farther in the future, isn't it? Isn't Cod Blobs Three like twenty sixty five? Which is isn't that way farther than Advance? I don't. I could be wrong. Um, tw- I, I think that the story begins in 2030 or 2035, oh. something along those lines. I'm not entirely, I don't exactly remember the, the timeline of it, uh, but there's wall running like Titanfall, but the wall running is a little bit cooler. I think in Titanfall, because Titanfall, as soon as you start running on a wall, you, you lose momentum pretty quickly. This game, you run on walls and can stay on walls pretty consistently for quite a while. And um, one thing that's cool is you can totally do a 180. You're running across a wall. You could turn around and run around the other side of the wall um, hmm. backwards. So if someone's chasing you, you can turn around on a wall and turn. And you can even like drop down C4 or uh, a bomb on the on the wall as you're running across it. So that's that's pretty neat. I can't wait um, till 2064 when we can all do that. That sounds fun. Exactly. Yeah. That and our uh, flying cars. Those are going to be yeah. the most exciting things about these things um there are the the thing that is interesting is they're trying to do something um 
by adding a little bit more personality to the multiplayer. So there are nine different characters in multiplayer and each has like a special ability and a special weapon. They only showed off five of them at the, or four of them. And there's five that they're going to show off later, but there's like one character has a compound bow uh, and you can select that. If you use her as your specialist is basically what it is. You can Mm -hmm. select to use her compound bow or her ability. And her ability is when she activates it, she can send out a sonar pulse and kind of identify all the enemies in the HUD on the HUD. So you can see where they all are. Um, there's a guy who has grav spikes. So he jumps in the air and he uses this huge AOE uh, attack, or you can use his ability where he boosts his speed and he can run faster. Uh, there's a robot that has a mini gun that attack that comes out of his arm, or hmm. he has this really strange and hard to explain ability where he glitches and rewinds time. So let's say you're chasing him and he rewinds time. He reverts to where he was like five or six seconds before. So essentially he goes behind you. Hmm. You see what I mean? It's very yeah, it's difficult to explain, but it's, it's neat when you get it to work. Like if you, if someone is, if you're running across a wall and you hear someone running behind you and starts shooting at you and you glitch, you end up behind them and then you can kill them from behind. This sounds so, more like overwatch or some, some game that's completely not based in reality at all. It's just, it's wild heroes that have all these crazy abilities. Yeah, it's it's they needed they decided to do something very different. I mean, we I was joking with them saying, like, listen, if Call of Duty Black Ops three was a match three, then people would still be like, oh, Call of Duty is the same every year. Like, it's just that name comes with it, this sort of idea that it's always the same. But Treyarch specifically has always been really good about trying new things. I mean, last year they had the branching storylines in their single player, which I thought was, you know, or not last year, their last game, which I thought was a good effort. Whether or not it worked, it would be up to other people. But um, this is something that they're, they're, you know, mantling, for example, they've gotten rid of it. Like when you run up against a cover, you'll immediately just vault over it and you never lose access to your gun, which is really cool. Their whole Hmm. concept is you can use um, aim down the sights or hip fire regardless of the situation. So that means you can and you can chain all this stuff together so you could run on a wall and scope with a sniper rifle as you're running across the wall. Crazy. You can jump off that wall and immediately jump and chain into a slide and slide around a corner and use your special ability. Like, so it's a lot more fast and frantic than previous call of duty games. It's more in line with, I think how frantic Titanfall is, but without Mm -hmm. the giant mechs. Yeah. And, um, that scalability that you can run on walls and do all this other stuff and thrust, you can do double jumps and all this other stuff means that they have to build their levels high and wide, which is kind of a first for call of duty because their maps are generally kind of small in comparison to other games. Uh, but I played it, it feels like halo. It kind of does. Yeah. I, you know, I, the, the it's they're like armor abilities. You can pick the weapon that that character has or the special ability that they have. And obviously, your decision uh, will. It's something that you have to decide before you start the round. So you have to this this idea that you need to pick what you want to do and the kind of character you want to make. It adds a little bit more flavor to those characters and gives them something you know more than just this default. Uh, body and then the thing that's cool about single player is that there's four player co-op co-op is coming back it's the first time co-op has been in a campaign since world at war yeah another Treyarch game and also the uh single player campaign is gender neutral which is really neat for the first time so you play as a man or a woman and it doesn't matter and the story evolves 
based on that character and they're fully voiced as well, which I think is really neat. Yeah, the the four player co-op thing, I was cooing about that last week. I, that may be the thing that brings me back to Call of Duty. I didn't play Call of Duty last year. I think it was the first year that I haven't played the installment of Call of Duty that came out, uh, at least didn't play through the single player campaign. This might be what brings me back because that's that's where I still have lots of fun in first person shooters is co-op campaigns that I can play with friends and we can all have a great time. Uh, that's that's what I'm looking for. And the idea that because it's four player co-op, it requires them to build levels in a different way than they've ever done before. You can't have those crazy narrow corridors that Call of Duty tends to have because, you mm-hmm. you know, you'd all get congested um, that makes me feel like the game is going to feel different and that I can play with a friend. It, it feels like a halo game or it sounds like a halo game. And, uh, you know, I'm, I dig that kind of thing. That's what I like in first person shooter campaigns. They, they showed off a level in the single player campaign. Um, it was just, we were watching one character and then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, and by the way, and then, you know, three other characters showed up. Each one has special abilities. You can upgrade abilities and sort of decide the kind of character you want to create and special abilities like, um, you can send out a swarm of, of um, like robotic bees or something. And, and, and it sort of distract nanobots basically. And it distracts enemies or you can set them on fire with that ability. Their whole thing is, is um, I asked whether or not the branching storyline stuff was going to come back. Their whole thing is, is in this game is they want to create more replayability by allowing you to upgrade your characters and, you know, go back to old missions and play them in different ways with new abilities hmm. and new upgrades. Um, and that's something that, that really works, cool. especially with like the Halo feel, because that's what I mean. How many times have I played the Halo campaign with people like you keep playing those levels again and again and again because it's so yeah. much fun. And now your experience will change slightly based on the things that you have, like the weapons that you have, the character that you've created. Uh, and yeah. And, and also this is going to be interesting because this will be the first call of duty game, modern call of duty game that can't rely so heavily on these set pieces because there's more than one player character in the world. Yeah. You know, there are going to be certain situations where there's a new third person camera will pull out and it will show the character that you're playing as. And if you're playing co-op, it'll show your character. So you're mm-hmm. always the main character. Right. Um, but, you know, for the first time, it can't rely on like, we know where you're looking now because it's you only. They can't do that anymore. So it, they need to expand how AI reacts, which is really exciting because AI has kind of always been an issue with these games. I, I think it's. Treyarch is doing some very cool stuff. They're, they never seem, you know, he, they don't seem hesitant to to change everything every year right. or every iteration. And that's that's a bold move, especially when you have a franchise like Call of Duty, which, you know, although it may or may not be slipping, it's still a huge franchise. And they make yeah, some no, really I, bold I, decisions. I think you're I think right. This cool. is the most excited I've been about a Call of Duty in a long, long time. Uh, and it's crazy to me that this series, you, you, the way you're talking about it, you know, you can release nanobots and wall jump and kill it. It's like this started with, you know, you're my grandfather in World War II. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's how this series yeah, yeah. started is you have, you know, uh, you, you got a, uh, a musket in World War, not a musket, but you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable that it's, it's, transformed and evolved so profoundly and and yeah that's to the credit of these guys and maybe it's because they're on an every other year kind of uh of schedule and they can you know there's always next year's model or last year's model that is 
different and more traditional or whatever, you know, they have the luxury of being able to, to change the script. Yeah. And Treyarch is, is knows that they're making a huge, they're making big changes. So for the first time since world at war, also they're uh, offering a beta. Now, mm-hmm. the only way you can get into the beta is by pre-ordering, but you can get into a beta if you want to try the game before you decide to buy it because, you know, pre-orders, does, they don't lock your money in. So if you decide yeah. you don't like it, you can always change your mind later. But they are offering a beta, which is pretty rare for Call of Duty. Uh, that This hasn't happened since 2008. So hmm. I think it's it's smart. I mean, you're going to change the game that drastically people need to try it out. And and I think that that's a bold move again on their part. Uh, anything else on your playlist? I mean, I've been playing uh, a little bit of WWE 2K15 on PC just because I thought it was, I heard that it was uh, hilariously broken and uh, <laughs> I won't get too much into it, but it is hilariously broken to the point where <laughs> remember, remember when God, what was it? NBA elite uh, was mm-hmm. coming out. And there was the demo where the guy was standing in the middle of the uh, the the court with Jesus arms. It was just like the model was frozen <laughs> in the middle of the court. Right. The day that the game launched, I played it, and it showed the replay. And it's like red box, big moment of the game uh, of the of the match. And it shows uh, my two the Chris Jericho and Roman Reigns laying in the middle of the, on the ground in the middle of the <laughs> ring with no ropes anymore. The referee was laying on top of Roman Reigns as though he had been shot. And the entire audience was doing Jesus arms. And I was like, best moment of the match, guys. I tweeted that picture. It was, oh, God, it was so ludicrous. I was playing it yesterday. I was doing the season mode. And uh, it was uh, Roman. It wasn't Roman Reigns. It was uh, Brock Lesnar um, attacked John Cena as he was on the way to the ring against Seth Rollins. The problem is the the game attacked the wrong person because the match was supposed to be Rollins versus Lesnar and the Lesnar model attacked Cena so when the match started there was no opponent so i was just oh standing there and there was no opponent for me to play against it was <laughs> i had to, so i had to s- simulate that match uh because i every time i reloaded it it would kept showing the same <laughs> wrong cutscene well, it you know, Lesnar so just broken. really hates Cena, and he just really, you know what? He, he can't be bothered to have an actual match. He wants to kill Cena. Maybe it was like, truly, you can't see me. Cena was standing there, and I just couldn't <laughs> tell where he was because I had no oh, idea wow. what was going on. It was um, <laughs> SR7 in chat says it sounds as bad as WWE in real life. Um, that was certainly one of their bad bookings. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's so broken. They're, they're, they're tweaking it and they're fixing stuff, but, um, it's gotten better over time. But, uh, I tweeted that picture of that broken match and it is hilarious. I'll share it in chat that, as well. But that's only on the PC though. The, the console versions aren't broken like that. I, you know, I didn't play the console versions, but they've been out for a long time. Um, hmm. so I'm not entirely sure if they are as broken. If they are, then that, that's that's hilarious. But Man. the PC version specifically is uh, a colossal mess. But it sounds um, like you're getting a lot of joy out of how much of a mess it is. <laughs> it's so good, dude. I can't. <laughs> I've been playing this game more than any other game that I've been playing. And I have like a waning interest in wrestling. Like I kind of got back into it for WrestleMania because I thought the booking was really good. And then Extreme Rules booking, I thought 
was terrible, but then apparently the matches were really good. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you watch wrestling all that much. I used to oh, watch yeah. it a lot when I was a kid. I, I, me and my dad went to WrestleMania um, when it was Hogan and Warrior in Toronto. Nice. Wow. When I was a kid. So I have like, I have this historic nostalgia for it. And uh, it's been nice to go back to see how absurd it's gotten. I'm actually, yeah. So. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's no, I, I, I love wrestling. I'm, I get, uh, I don't watch weekly like I used to. I don't watch Ron SmackDown like I used to, but, uh, I get, you know, I get into it for the pay-per-views and stuff. And, um, I, I've never liked a wrestling game ever. I mean, maybe the old, the old 2D uh, stand-up arcade game with Big Boss Man and all those guys. Maybe that was the only wrestling game I ever really loved. But, you know, even people were talking about like, on the N64, the NWO games that people liked. I didn't even like those. I've never, really? they've never been able to capture the fun of wrestling to me. You know, it, for me, it's always, it's done a good job of capturing the, the in-the-ring stuff. They've never been able to capture the the drama or the soap opera elements to it um i would just like a game where i could create my own stories and bookings and there were some two uh some thq games where you can do a little bit of that but it never mm-hmm. really worked all that well um yeah it's 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 a strange thing to be an annual franchise that's for sure we need to, we need the, the telltale wwe game that's what we need oh god that don't <laughs> dude, shut this down copyright <laughs> call them that is a fantastic make that idea. I, again, <laughs> well, uh, steep, speaking of things that are broken this week, my PC had a meltdown. Uh, and so I dealt with that most of this week instead of playing lots of things. I wasn't able to play my beloved Heroes of the Storm. Uh, I did play some uh, Marvel Heroes before it, it broke. But I, I literally – what happened was I uh, installed my new GeForce drivers and somehow that was – it turned out to be that was the straw that broke the camel's back because it, it wasn't actually that which caused the problem. Uh, although it made me think that for a long time and I went down the wrong road, yada, yada, yada. It just turned out to be a hard drive that went uh, south and I had to replace the hard drive. But it took me a long time to figure that out. And I got a lot of tweets when I was tweeting about it and getting, you know, crowdsourcing all my, my tech problems, which is great. And I appreciate everybody that helped. But um, a lot of people were tweeting me saying, oh, you know, Ha ha ha. You talk about how great PC gaming is and look what you have to deal with. And my response to that is Christian Spicer has an, an a non-working Xbox One right now. It died. So it, it happens to the, any kind of piece of electronics. It's not just your PC that goes bad. Right. It, it's your PC that goes bad. And I was able to salvage my PC because I could replace individual components, which you can't do with consoles. So you cannot I don't know. Anyway. So did you was it your backup drive or was it your main drive that, that died? Yeah, I have an SSD as my C drive, as my boot drive that has Windows on it and and very few other things. And it was the E drive, the much larger uh, drive oh, that had okay. all all my stuff on it, which is kind of a bummer because it had all my stuff on it. And, you know, everybody, I always say to people, back up, back up, back up. But, uh, you know, I didn't well, back there up. There is a way to recover some of that stuff. I, that's happened to me in, in the past. You can recover some of the stuff on that drive, um, even though it's dead. That happened to me with my um, my C drive, which was an SSD. Back when mm. SSDs were not reliable at all, yeah, it totally it totally died on me, and the entire computer was. I had to get a new window, like reinstall Windows, and everything was dead on it. So that that's definitely heartbreaking for sure. But it, I've also gone through rough. like nine Xbox 360s. So you know, there you go. There you go. Yeah, you can't win. Electronics are out to kill you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I. 
haven't yet thanked our sponsor yet, so we should probably get to that, which is Linda. If you want to learn about stuff, including how to fix a PC and what to do, how to replace a hard drive, or lots of other things, Linda is the place to go. It's an online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses that help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. And you'll get a free 10-day trial just by going to our URL, which is lynda.com slash DLC. That's L ynda.com slash DLC. They'll give you a free 10-day trial, which gives you complete run of the site, all 3,000 on-demand video courses. These are high-quality courses. These aren't just uh, yokels in on YouTube, you know, that probably are telling you the wrong version of something, and it's all outdated, and you got to search for it, and you can't find it, and it's all difficult and frustrating. No, Linda has everything all up to date. They, you're assured that you're looking at the latest version of, of software that you're learning about or, uh, you know, programs are, are all managed and done by professional instructors, people that know what they're talking about and can deliver that information clearly and concisely. And not only that, individual courses are searchable. So they're all, um, they are all, uh, typed out so you can actually search the, the in, in uh course text of of a specific course so if you're looking for a very unique specific piece of information it's searchable and findable easily and quickly and if you're into video game design it's the best place to go to find out they have courses on 3d studio max they have courses on uh, html5 they have courses on unity they have courses on maya all kinds of stuff they also have really interesting uh courses just in general web stuff i mean there's like how to sell stuff on ebay effectively there's paypal if you're like running a business and you want to know how to integrate PayPal, they have that. All kinds of great WordPress. It's it's awesome. I was just browsing some some stuff today. If you want to learn effectively, quickly, and easily, it's a great way to do it. And we're going to give you a free 10-day trial, so you don't have to take my word for it. You can check it out. Again, use that that uh, URL, lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com, slash D-L-C, and check it out. Um. All right, let's, uh, you're a board gamer and as am I, so let's get right now to tabletop time. Tabletop time, tabletop time. Right now, right now. Zav, video, uh, board gamer, friend, what have you been playing on the tabletop? Uh, oh man. I almost, I just got married in February. I almost got divorced last week because my wife and I <laughs> played Letters from Whitechapel. Uh-oh. And I don't, I don't know if you've played that. I haven't. Uh, it is a little bit like Scotland Yard. Right. Where you play as a spy and there are uh, police detectives searching for you. In Letters from Whitechapel, you play as, one person plays as Jack the Ripper and everyone else plays as a detective searching for Jack the Ripper. So it takes place over the course of a few evenings. Uh, in, in game time, not mm-hmm. you don't have to play the game over the course of a few evenings, but basically, you as Jack the Ripper go and uh, select your victims, kill them, and then you have to make it back to your hideout. And your movement is um, invisible to other players. You have to write down on a, a placard where you're going, and you have a little cover to so people can't see what you're doing. And the detectives sort of move around the zone searching for clues. And ask, and if they know where you are, can arrest you. So if you move to a space and all the spaces are numbered, if you move to a space on the board in, in London 
and the detective asks, you know, were you on this space? You have to say yes or no. If you were there, you put a little um, icon on the space so you know. And you start to create a trail as you're mm-hmm. following Jack the Ripper back um, to his hideout. So it's it's really neat. The first couple of nights, you, you, you kill one person. And then in the second evening, you have to kill two. Makes things a little bit more difficult. And as all of these detectives, if you're playing with multiple player, players, they are all each working together. And it's fun to hear people talking about strategy as you're sitting there as Jack the Ripper. And they're saying, <laughs> like, I think he went here or he went there. Or I think he did this or that. Right. Um, but it's also kind of infuriating. The first time my wife and I played it, it was just two players. And... Um, when she played as Jack the Ripper um, ended up making a move that was not within the confines of what you would call the rules. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was searching for her and I'm, it is like, she's so close to the end and she was getting on her, she got her last victim and she's making her way back. And I'm like, I know where you are. You're here. You have to be in this area. <laughs> she's and like, Jack Rip- Ripper home- can fly. He can fly now. <laughs> Exactly, because there are these, like, you have uh, special abilities. One is a carriage that allows Jack the Ripper to move two spaces on a turn. Ordinarily, he can move one. Or a lantern, which allows you to move through structures. So if you're, if one of space number one is on one side of a building and space number 10 is on the other side, you can move right through it. But she moved through it and down the street slightly. And I'm like, there's just no (laughs) way for me to track that because it's not a possible move. So it was, oh, we... We were not happy with each other at all. <laughs> and it was, we got so mad. She got so frustrated playing the game as uh, the detectives because it was the first time either one of us had played. So we were still, not, you know, figuring things out. She's very much, and I, and I know you know people like this. Um, okay, let's just start playing and then we'll get the rules as we go. Right. And I, right. And I, my wife me, is like I'm that too. Like, are you like that? No, my wife is like that as well. And I'm okay. always like, no, honey, we can't start playing because you don't even know what you're trying to accomplish yet. She's like, yeah, I know. Exactly. I'll pick it up. I'm like, no, you. All right. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is definitely the the the, you know, the uh, juxtaposition between the two of us as well, because <laughs> I want to know how to play. She wants to figure out how to play. And it sometimes can it can start some some battles between us which is funny yeah. well, we also played pandemic the cure i don't know if you've played that it's the dice version of pandemic no our guest um, last week uh, talked about that as well he said it was really cool are you digging it i, I think it's a lot of fun it, it makes the game move a lot faster yet it's it's as like you know in like frantic and the diabolical as every other single pandemic game this game i feel like you can get your you can make mistakes to get yourself into a real bad jam really easily uh, because you're constantly pulling dice out of a bag and placing them on the regions in the map. And then you have to cure the dice that are on the regions into sort of the center of the, of the play area. And Mm -hmm. then you have to use another action to then take that and put it back in the dice bag where all the rest of the diseased cubes are. Now, if you, end up outbreaking multiple times, uh, you cause an epidemic and any dice that you have in the center go all the, get redistributed back onto all of the regions. So if you have a big old pile of dice that you've cured out of the regions and have not put them back in the bag by using that second action, if you cause an outbreak or if there's an epidemic, you have to then take all of those dice in the center, re-roll them and redistribute them again. And it's the same thing. If it outbreaks, if, because there are four colored die... They're 48 die and there's four different colors. If it outbreaks, if three of the same color 
exists on certain uh, on a region, it outbreaks to the next region. And if that outbreaks again, you keep chain reactioning everything. And the entire the first time we played, we lasted about fifteen minutes. We died immediately. Um, <laughs> The second time we actually won, which was which was a lot more fun because we knew the roles and we you know it was another learn by playing rather than by reading right. it. Um, so, but there's certain games that I have that Jeff, you Christian, you need to come over and play games that I look at yeah. the rule book and I'm like, my wife is not going to be down for this. Like I have Star Wars Imperial Assault. Oh, we're gonna do hole. that. I've been wanting to play that so bad. It's burning a hole in my closet right now. I played it one time. Uh, fantastic. But that has a lot of intricate rules, too. My wife yeah. and I have also been playing a lot of Lords of Waterdeep. We got the expansion recently, and uh, we're big, big fans of that game. Skullport, right? The Scoundrels of Skullport? Scoundrels of Skullport, which since we've introduced that expansion, I have not won. She's beat me every <laughs> single time. The last time, I was such a sore loser the last time we played because she kept handing out those mandatory quests, man. I don't know if you played the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it was like mandatory quest, mandatory quest. And at the end, I had a perfect setup. I had the exact number of cubes to get like 40 points. I had one white cube, and that's all I needed to do it. Then she handed me a mandatory quest. There was no spaces on the board remaining for me to get a white cube, and the mandatory quest needed a white cube for me to accomplish it. I almost flipped the table. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was like I lost my mind. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's well, great. Suspect- yeah, you guys got to come over. We'll play I suspect that Christian is going to be uh, not able to play things for a while after after baby number two. But I am in. We should do it this week if you can. I my wife is out of town, so I would. I've been dying to play Imperial Assault, uh, especially with all the sort of Star Wars in the. You know, today is May fourth, and all the Star Wars in the atmosphere. I've been. I've heard such good things about that game, and haven't had a chance to try it yet. So, yeah, dying to do that. I wanted to talk a little bit about an update on on my D and D campaign. Uh, Listeners to the show have heard me talk about. The fact that I just recently started with my D&D group, um, I've been DMing the group for a couple of years now, and I have usually been doing uh, pre-made modules that are written by other people and adapting them, and, and that's a lot of fun. There, there's some great uh, campaigns. We played Pathfinder, we played D&D, 4th edition, uh, but 5th edition started, and I did the first 5th edition campaign we did after the starter set uh was a pre-made module it was uh called glitter doom um and that was fun and and i've been itching to to give myself a shot at making something up from from scratch and i talked uh last time i talked about dnd i had mentioned the the first the first go of trying that and how much fun it was making things up. And we had another meeting um, of the guys recently and, and had another big chunk of story that, that we played through and, and I made up on the fly. And I wanted to talk a little bit about it because it was so much fun. Basically, I got inspired by this picture that I had in a, in an old D and D book of a floating castle, which is this, this castle that like rests on a cloud in the sky. So I, um, I, wanted to build an adventure where the, the, the guys visit a floating castle. And so I, you know, I introduced all these, uh, these elements and sort of made a mystery of like what they, and they discovered one that had crashed to the, to the earth that was like on its side, but they, I didn't tell them that it had come from the sky and they were exploring it. And it was really cool because they went in through the bottom of this structure and then had to, 
uh, fight monsters and stuff inside this castle that was on its side. So everything was 90 degrees from how it should be. And so they were going through doors that were above them or beneath them. And they were walking upstairs that were on the wall to the left of them. It was really fun to try to convey that sense of, of something that was on its side, right? And you're inside this thing laying on the ground. But the really cool thing that I did, uh, before we ever even started this campaign, when they rolled up new fifth edition characters, is I sent an email to all the guys individually and said, Hey, send me a secret about your character. I mean, the, the fifth edition comes with stuff that, that are character building little elements, inspiration points, um, that are on your character sheet. But I wanted something else, a, a different little bit of knowledge that I as the DM knew and they knew, but they didn't know of each other. And so that guy could pepper stuff like that in. And I had already planned to do this floating castle idea. And one of my players sent me his secret and he said, I have been secretly working in a, a mountain cave on the world's first flying machine. So I'm like, oh my God, how cool is this? He's been working on a flying machine. So in this last session, after they had explored that sideways castle and discover there's a second floating castle in the sky and they need to get to it, they are sitting around going, oh, how can we get to this floating castle? And I kind of look, look, turn and look at that player and he goes, uh, guys, I have something I need to tell you. And it was this incredible moment of him supplying information that the, the DM wasn't supplying. So, you know, normally I'm kind of narrating the whole thing, but to have a player come and supply information. And then I didn't know what he was going to say. All I knew from his email was that he had been working on that flying machine. So I asked him, okay, What's the situation with that? And he t begins to describe what the flying machine is, how far along he, he is on building it. And it becomes this mutual improvisation of me creating a, a problem for them to have to overcome. But based on information that I'm just getting at that point right then, because he's making it up too. like he's telling me where. Uh, how far I thought maybe he would say, Oh, you know, I've been working on plans for something or whatever, but he's got no, he says, no, I have this working machine in my, in my secret cave workshop mm. that's ready to go. And, uh, it, it was just a really a, a amazing moment of spontaneity. And we're both creating this thing together now, right? The players are creating it as much as I'm creating it. And I'm coming up on the fly of problems. So they go back to their workshop and I, Tell him that there's a cave troll that broke into his cave workshop while he was out adventuring and they have to fight the cave troll. And I brought, <laughs> I brought a whole pack of Legos that I had and I tell him that he, they smashed the, uh, his flying machine and he has to rebuild it. So that player is literally building a Lego replica of his flying machine <laughs> while the other players are fighting the cave troll and the cave troll out levels them. So it's giving them a lot of trouble. And so he's frantically trying to build this thing. But the best part about it is he's the type of guy in real life that is perfect for this situation because he's taking it seriously. Like anybody could just take three Legos and slap them together and go, okay, I'm done. Let's get out of here. But no, he wants to build like his flying machine. So he's taking his time and like making it perfect. And all the other players are like, we're getting our ass kicked by this, by this cave troll. So hurry up. But he's like, you know, he's, he's taking it seriously, which is the level of investment that you need to make D and D really sing, right. To make it really work well is 
people invested in the moment enough where he's like, yeah, no, my character would really build the crap out of this and make it look right and perfect for everybody. Um, so it was this really dramatic moment. And of course, you know, he finishes building it. Well, I don't know how much detail you want me to get into. I don't know how interesting this is, but one of our characters has uh chaos magic, which means that mm-hmm. when he casts a spell, if he has done a certain thing, used up a certain resource that he has, sometimes he has to roll a die and look at this chart in the player's handbook of what crazy other spell he accidentally cast. And he accidentally cast <laughs> while fighting the cave troll. He accidentally cast this giant fog that filled the entire cave. So now the cave troll can't see them, but they can't see the cave troll. And what I did was I took a piece of white paper and put it over the pile of Lego. So he had to build the, the, his machine without being able to see which piece he was picking <laughs> up at the time. It was That's so amazing. fun. And of course, at the last minute, like he, he builds it and one guy gets one of their team members had been knocked unconscious. So they pile him onto the flying machine and leap out the, the wind or the uh, entrance to this cave off the side of this mountain, not knowing whether the thing is going to fly or not. And they're all rolling dexterity checks to make sure it does. And it was just mm-hmm. a really cool, fun session. And it, it reinforces that the magic of D&D, which is you're making it all up, right? It, it can go anywhere. It can do anything. And it, it's where it separates itself from a video game because there's no parameters. It's whatever your imagination can create. Yeah. I've never actually played D&D ever in my entire life. Oh, we and should do it, man. I know that Anthony Carboni has never played and I'm not sure. I don't think Spicer's played either. So maybe we should get a game together. I mean, I would like to try it. The closest that I've come recently is my wife and I played um, Tales of the Arabian Nights. Which oh yeah, is a that's storytelling fun. game, and so yeah. like a choose your own adventure game, and they're just the 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 humor of like you come across a sandstorm, what do you do? Drink it, like you yeah. <laughs> pick the most absurd things to do. Right. Uh, so I think that that's that's pretty fun. I've never played it. it, it I always hear all these great stories from people about D anD D and creating these amazing campaigns, and I, I would think that like you know you would be really good at it too, obviously because you're an actor. Like my wife and a lot of our friends here are working actors too, and you know a lot of them are improv as well. So Mm -hmm. it's almost perfect for those folks. But sometimes, you know, you mentioned D&D and people are are taken aback by, you know, the intricacy of making it work. Right. Uh, I've never played it, but it is something that I definitely would like to check out sometime. Well, we should make that happen because it's, I mean, it's so much fun when it's working. And really, if you, if you come at it with the right spirit, there's no wrong way to do it. Even people that kind of quote unquote don't know what they're doing. It's fine. Cause you're, it's basically just, you know, it's just a loose rule set for interactive storytelling. And when you, sometimes when you go to a, a store and you play with strangers, people can be real sticklers about the rules or whatever. But in, in the games that I run and then the games that I like to be a part of, it's much more about you know, be making fun, you know, it's, it's really just a tool set for making fun. And if it's not fun, then the tools are wrong. And if you're using it more like a, a win or lose type of a situation, then you're, I think you're doing it wrong. All right, man, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Zav, thank you so much for being here, man. Uh, always great to have you on the show. Um, where can people Thanks for having me? Yeah. Where can people uh, keep up with you these days? Well, I'm still tweeting nonsense at Zav X A V uh, over on the Twitter, and um, I uh, there's some I'm doing some freelance work uh, still. There's some some um, I just worked for Engadget. Uh, I, I covered Star Wars for them and Call of Duty for them. There's a couple of other other events coming up soon. 
Um, E3 is just around the corner. Might see me there as well. So keep them cool. busy. Uh, I decided to take a little bit of time off and enjoy being married uh, for the time being. But uh, eventually, we'll, uh, eventually I'll, I'll find my way back into people's RSS feeds, I'm sure. Awesome. Uh, well, definitely have to thank Spicer for giving up the morning of his child's birth to be with he- be with us here. Uh, I know he's got lots of stuff coming up, in- including improv versus stand up uh, at the UCB and and other things. But you can find out all that stuff by following him on Twitter. That's at Spicer. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. I just heard today, although I'm trying to stay away from from spoilers. I just heard today that there's some new Star Wars character that's named Kanata. Did you see this? No, I did not. Interesting. Uh, it's going to be the bane of my existence because it's spelled K-A-N-A-T-A. Uh, <laughs> so it's, if, if I thought people were having a problem with my name already, then I'm in real trouble. Um, anyway, so I, I just heard that through the grapevine, maybe. Uh, anyway, it's 2Ns1T on Twitter, and you can also uh, listen to me talk about Avengers. We just reviewed uh, Avengers on the Slash Filmcast last night. That episode should be going up today at some point. That's uh, at SlashFilmcast.com. Also, the comedy science show that I do with Anthony Carboni is, is uh, three days a week. Um, that is at WeHaveConcerns.com. Calm. Uh, all right, before we take off for realsies, we got to give the people a parting gift to lead them into next week. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Uh, you got a, you got a something to recommend to the people for this, uh, this coming week, Zev? It seems silly to even recommend it because everyone's already seen it, but Avengers Age of Ultron, I got to watch it, uh, this weekend and i had a lot of fun i agreed with your review uh that you had on um your nlb mini Mm -hmm. i thought that it was very i I, you know i thought it was very entertaining it was a lot of fun it was so lighthearted that you pluck any one scene out of that movie and it had more joy and grace than all of man of steel um and it's just it's just entertaining and i feel like that's what marvel's doing a really good job with their universe is making it there's some stakes involved for sure, but it's also lighthearted. It's also fun to watch and you don't leave being totally depressed in the doom and gloom, much like Warner's uh, film series. So Avengers age of Ultron, I thought it was fantastic and uh, people should go watch it if they haven't already or watch it again and again yeah. and again and again. Yeah. Uh, we'll second that emotion. And on the same tip, if you're into superheroes and you're digging on Avengers Age of Ultron, why not read some comics? This last weekend was free comic book day. Uh, if you missed that, you could have gotten free comics just by walking into any local comic book store. But that certainly isn't reason to not go there now. You can find your local comic book store. Uh, most of them are super friendly, great places to be. And the the comics that are on the stands now are so great. And Marvel is doing some really interesting things, as is DC. Uh, so if you're excited about the Avengers, why not check out the trade paperback of Age of Ultron? The Marvel event from a couple of years back is super cool, uh, as is the uh, the death of, of the Watcher, which happened last summer. And this summer, they're shaking things up in a huge way and smashing together two universes. Go to your local comic book store, pick up some comics, get into it. Uh, it's fun to download them on your app of choice uh, and read them on your your pa- pad or phone of choice. But going into your comic book store and getting that physical version, there's nothing better. So I recommend mm-hmm. that. 
I want to echo something quickly that you have been talking about for a very long time, and I finally decided to take your advice, and that's Geeks and Sneaks. Nice. Uh, my wife and I have been very active lately, and uh, I'm down 35 pounds, working very <laughs> hard. Amazing. Working very hard, getting into shape. Um, I figured uh, I'm married. Maybe I want to stick around for a while, right? So yeah. we're, we're getting things together. So it's it's been a lot of fun. I, I, I miss that activity. And now that I have a lot of time, I'm putting all of my emphasis on just making things better. So get up off your couch. It's fun to listen to podcasts, but do it while you're running. That's what I do. There you go. Dude, that is, I, that is great. Congratulations. Fantastic. I'm very happy for you, man. That's awesome. Thanks. Uh, all right. So that's, that's it for this week's edition of DLC. Uh, thanks to Zav D'Amatos and Christian Spicer. Thanks to everybody that hung out in the chat room and contributed to the show that way. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next Monday, 11 a.m. Pacific time if you want to listen live. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.